0: Hello, listeners! Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. Join me, your host, Alexia Gordon, as I chat with authors writing cozy, traditional, and historical mysteries. You won't find explicit sex or graphic violence, you will find intriguing authors and quality fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Katrina McPherson returns to chat about Hopscot, her newest last ditch mystery. Welcome back, Katrina.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Alexia.
0: Now, this is the sixth mystery featuring Lexi Campbell and the Last Ditch crew. Could you please tell us what they're up to in Hopscot?
1: Yes. Now anyone who's familiar with the series will know that it always starts on a holiday and this time it's the big one in my opinion it's christmas time and they are so normally it's about a scot fish out of water scot who has moved to california at uh, this time she's going back home to scotland for christmas and she takes the whole crew so there's 11 of them 10 of them something like that uh, it's an, I think it's an even number, so there must be ten of them. They all go to Scotland for Christmas uh, from California. So the so the shoe is on the other foot. This time it's not uh, Lexi laughing at American life and culture; it's these California people laughing at Scottish life and culture and weather and food and traditions. Um, it was great fun to write, and there's there's a murder. It's still a murder mystery. So there's a there's a mouldering corpse in the basement of this uh, beautiful old stone house, mistletoe hall that they go to spend Christmas in. Uh, and there's a there's a skeleton bricked up in the basement, which they find.
0: Uh, as you said, uh, Hopscot takes the entire crew to Scotland for Christmas. So how plot-wise did you approach the challenge of getting seven grown-ups and two kids plus Lexie, so that's actually eight grown-ups across an entire ocean and then having the them, the American ones anyway, operate in a whole new world during, you know, probably one of the the major holidays that,
1: that. Yeah, it's absolutely the major holiday there. We don't even have Thanksgiving to ramp up to it. Um, Well, one of the more, you have to suspend a lot of disbelief to read the Last Ditch series. And one of the big bits of disbelief that you have to suspend is that these two doctors one who's a consultant one who's on permanent uh, sick leave because of psychiatric problems they don't live in their house they live in the motel so that's todd and roger um however i thought well you know they've been staying in this motel for five years now um in a couple of rooms uh, and they've got people in their house so they've got lots of money so roger who's a consultant pediatrician in high dependency in hdu paediatric ward, is so tired um, and needs a break so badly that he charters a private jet. That's how they managed to get to Scotland with very little notice because there'll be no seats on the plane, obviously. Um, But I looked into how much it, it costs to charter a private jet and I couldn't afford one, but it's not stupidly out of reach. You know, it's not like buying a private jet or a super yacht. It's something you think. If I was just a medium amount richer than I am, medium to a lot, I could do this. So, so that's how they—that's how they get there. And that gave rise to one of my favourite characters, uh, who's based on a, a, an auction winner, who is the beautiful, glamorous, but insanely over-attentive cabin crew on this private jet, Gloria, who's named after Gloria Nafey, um from Sacramento that was a lot of fun.
0: You also talked about how um, Lexi's usually the one who's the fish out of water being the Scott in California, but this time she's actually the insider, the the hometown girl returning home after an absence. um, And she has to shepherd a bunch of now Americans who are the fish out of water um, through navigating her home turf. So, you know, how does that, impact the way she deals with a murder on top of everything else. I mean, just the idea of having to oh. <laughs> introduce, like, you know, nine people to a new country and home and parents and and it's like, that's that alone would make yeah. most people nuts, never mind a
1: dead body. <laughs> well, let's say that the pace of the book is not measured. It's quite zippy uh, and gets frenetic at times. But it was yeah, so she's got she's got a lot of split loyalties because she wants to show off Scotland, you know, she wants to show off her country, but she wants to look after, you know, people that she's kept it quiet. She doesn't know that they're going to this lovely place. She thinks they're going to somewhere much modest. She's kept it quiet that they might have to share a bathroom, which is anathema for the for the Californians, although absolutely fine for Scottish people, they share bath water if there's not much to go around. Nobody cares. Um she, you know, she wants to protect them from from her mother's cooking and the terrible service because everybody's very rude compared with definitely California. I don't know if it's America because this is the only place I've ever lived, but s- people in customer services in California are extremely polite and helpful, and you don't get that in Scotland. And she also she's in she's introducing her fiance to her parents for the first time. She's seeing her parents for the first time since the pandemic stopped all the visits um so there's yeah there's a lot going on uh it, it's really good fun nolene who who runs the motel in california takes to the dreadful customer service with gusto she loves it not having to not having to be polite back to people who are being polite to her and oddly you know there's some very serious points. Della, who's uh, a Mexican-American, well, no, she's Mexican, but she's now a citizen, um, likes the fact that there is no anti-Mexican racism in Scotland, which there isn't. Uh, Mexico is just one of the countries in the world. Why would there be, you know, Spain's down the road, people speak Spanish, there's no... so she, But Lexi, Lexi needs to... It's not like, oh, Scotland's better than America, because as Lexi says... Yeah, they think it's great that you're bilingual, but try it with Urdu. You know, try try being from a different part of the world. Scotland has hostility, you know, baseless hostility to some people. But it's a nice change for a Mexican person not to have that in her daily life. Um, and Todd, who has kleptoparasitosis, a f- fear of all insects, including an imaginary imaginary insects, Loves the fact that it's so cold that there are no bugs. So they like some things about it. They don't like Lexi as a, a tour guide because, and this is um, this is me channeling me, they go to Edinburgh, um, you know, d- historical, architectural, cultural gem of Europe with this huge Georgian new town, and she doesn't know anything. Like, there's all these statues everywhere. Oh, who's that? They say, I don't know, guy on a horse is her only answer. I don't know, you know, guy in a robe. I don't know, which is true. You don't you don't know anything about your you don't know anything about your hometown.
0: Uh, oh, what's
1: that building? True. It's a bank. They don't believe her that these palatial buildings are banks. They are. That's how they built them. You know, in the in the 18th century, but they do they do look like palaces. So it, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and the food's <laughs> terrible, obviously. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, well speaking of food at one point you uh, mentioned that Scottish pancakes are different from American pancakes how
1: so oh yes yeah. Scottish pancakes are um, well we do have we call them drop scones things that look you would call them like silver dollar pancakes so they're about the size of a coaster like a beer, mat, a beer coaster and they're kind of maybe half an inch thick but when you think about making pancakes, they're more like French crepe, so huge and thin, and you stuff, with, stuff them with things and roll them up. But Lexi's mum decides she's going to make pancakes for breakfast to make the American people feel at home, but makes the wrong kind. And then you've got to be just polite and sort of choke it down. She yeah. also makes mutton soup with barley in it, which is not doesn't go down very well with them. Um, People who usually eat uh, California style food. I love mutton soup with barley, but it is quite stiff and a kind of beigey grey colour. It's not, um, you don't get it at Chez Panisse. I wouldn't have thought, not that I've ever been.
0: <laughs> I, I suspect folks from uh, New England might take to mutton stew better than folks from California. From California, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know that, but that that kind of uh, you know brings up the the thought of of christmas traditions and christmas is one of those big holidays that comes with a lot of expectations and stir up a lot of angst so how do you use those sort of expectations and the the angst that they induce to heighten the tension in your mystery
1: oh yeah it's it's good it's a good um trope it's like so the so the novel finishes on Christmas Day so everything's ramping up to the big day uh, the kids are excited because Santa's coming well Diego's worried that Santa won't come because he won't know where they are will he be able to find us and it's like I've written something that's leading up to a wedding and something that's leading up to a theatrical production and it's the same kind of crescendo that carries you along uh, and I found it fun to make the big difference between uh, the, the darkness and the um you know, the kind of sob- sober sobriety, soberness, sobriety doesn't sound right, but the the kind of solemnity, that's better, of trying to find out who this corpse is and what happened and what's gone wrong with trying to hide all that because you're supposed to be having a party and it's people having a trip of a lifetime and um you don't want to be bad house guests. So I found that I found that to be um quite fun. Um to marry those two things together, I had an interesting conversation with someone, a fellow writer recently, who said, oh, this is a Christmas mystery, but there's no murder because it's Christmas." And I thought, "What? No, I didn't. I didn't think that was necessary at all. There's a murder, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on.
0: Actually, I mean, Christmas is a uh, uh, popular." holiday in murder mysteries uh so what what do you um i mean what act, christie's written them i think martin edwards has had several of his collections and, and you know the british libraries put out uh christmas murder so what do you what do you think makes christmas such a popular holiday setting for
1: murder mysteries yeah i know i just wrote a little article about my top five christmas mysteries and it was surprisingly hard to pin it down and i didn't actually put um Agatha Christie, in because I thought everybody knows about that one, so it doesn't need it doesn't need to be revisited. Um, I think it's me. Ma- I mean, I, I I do blame Agatha Christie though because a Chris a Christie for Christmas used to be she'd always bring her book out in time for Christmas and sign a copy for the Queen, who was the Queen Mother, like the two two monarchs ago. Um, I don't know if she did it for the. I was going to say the real queen. You can say that's not very diplomatic. You know what I mean, though. The monarch queen. Um, so a Christie a for Christmas. And also the cozying up by the fireside with time to read. Uh, and everybody loves a murder mystery, so why not? Because we, I mean, I read more at Christmas. I think a lot of people only read at Christmas because they're on holiday and they don't have a whole load of gardening to do. Um. It's just hygge, isn't it? That lovely. Is that a Danish word? I know it's a Scandinavian word. I think, it is. it Danish hygge? It's just it, the kind of I think it's wearing Danish. cozy, cozy soft clothes and everything's nice and warm and something nice to drink and something nice to eat. And, you know, I don't think, because they're not serial killer. They're not, you know, they're not slashers, are they?
0: Christmas no. mysteries. No, yeah. they're usually people doing the cozy. clothing up by the fire and then a dead body or three shows sure. up somewhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, because they don't have them. I mean, I know I start these books on holidays, but you don't there's not a huge subgenre of Easter mysteries or I mean Thanksgiving comedies, but not Thanksgiving mysteries.
0: Yeah, are there? No, you don't really get like no pendants no. day mysteries, or it seems to be a oh. Christmas and Halloween maybe. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. Halloween. Yeah. 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 Halloween's a great holiday to have a, a murder on because of the body disposal problem, which is not a problem. You just put it on the porch. Leave yeah, it there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, um, in addition to to, you know, Christmas being a um, significant uh, event in your book. The mystery in Hopscot also hinges on some rather complex Scottish laws. So, you know, what kind of legal research did you, do you have to do for those? And can you explain the Scottish legal system to those of us who are unfamiliar with it?
1: All of it? No. It um, to do legal. with yeah, everything. <laughs> to do with, well, it's a separate system from um, English legal system. So Scots law, I mean, there was the Union of Crowns, James VI and First. Uh, joined the Crowns and then the Union of Parliaments in 1740. But the two um, nation states never quite completely merged. And then Scotland got a measure of independence, although not complete independence. I was just watching Ted Lasso, you know, that um, sitcom where the American uh, football coach said, How many countries are in this country? And there's a chorus of four, you know. So, but Scots law is separate. And Scott's law has inheritance rules that uh, have never changed. So there's there, if you are uh, you can't disinherit your children and you can't disinherit your spouse. Basically, there's a bairn's part, child's part, uh, which is one third of your what Charles Dickens called movable goods in Great Expectations that you have to leave to your children uh, if you're married with children. And then there's a widow's part or a widower's part. To widow's part that so a third of your estate you have to leave to your wife and then you get you know, your wild card you get a third of your estate you can do whatever you want with and um, doesn't apply to property just all the other stuff cash and jewels and paintings and stuff um so and then inheritance laws changed a great deal there used to be something called a presumption. I think it's a Dorothy Sayers novel called uh, presumption of death there used to be a a law called presumption of life. So you could only have someone declared dead when they'd been missing for seven years, but you assumed that they were alive until the day you declared them dead. And then they changed it to presumption of death, like you, uh, which is a bit bleaker, like you wait the seven years and then you declare that they've been dead since the day you last saw them or since anyone last saw them. Um, So there's all these complex little bits of uh, whether or not someone's dead, and um who can be disinherited, and there's lots of odd bits of leftover law about the concept, which thankfully is gone now of legitimacy. So it used to be it used to matter whether your parents married were married when you were born or whether they ever got married after you were born, and now that's gone. It took a long time for adopted children to get entirely the same rights as um biological children. So there's this naughty little corner of uh, law where where marriage and legitimacy and inheritance all kind of snarl up together. I took a lot of notes. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm usually a pantser. I did not pants this. <laughs> I suspended the first draft. I thought, right, you've got to, you've got to get this right. Um, so that this so that this plot works. And I thought, oh how the heck how the heck am I ever gonna put it into a novel and make it fun? I mean, I hope everybody's not just turned off your podcast right now as I tried to explain it. But then I gave it. So what I did was I gave it to one of my favourite Monster of the Week characters I've ever come up with. He's only gonna be in this book because he lives in Scotland and he's in his nineties, so even if they go back, who knows? Um, Mr. Kilquanity um, from, oh, I can't remember what it's called, uh, Kilcice, Cahoon and Kilhwanity, the um, solicitors, which I just chose the names because they're really hard for non-Scottish people to say and I thought it would be funny. So Todd and Kathy have various attempts to reproduce these names from the spellings, uh, which are not phonetic. Uh, so Mr K, as he's called, is a kind of old goat, a kind of lecherous but adorable Retired solicitor in his 90s who explains the, these bits of Scott's Law to Cathy uh, and Todd and Lexi with many asides and bits of flirting. So, I, and I think I managed to make it. You know, there's a lot of information, but I think between his character and the uh, humorous misunderstandings of, uh, Uh, Kathy and Todd's like, are you really? Is that you genuinely you're called a solicitor? Does that not make vice cases tough? (laughs) Because that's what lawyers, that's what attorneys are called. They're called solicitors um, in Scotland, in the whole of the UK, I think. Yeah. Um, So I I hope I managed it. But it's maybe you like when you get to the chapter where Mr. K explains the law over lunch in a real pub in Edinburgh, the Dome, with a real menu. That includes ox cheek. Um, you maybe just pour yourself a little sherry and go right. I'm going to read this chapter now, and then people can always email me and say what, and I'll answer.
0: <laughs> but now the, the the your use of of Scottish law and um, Christmas traditions it it kind of illustrates how things that you know, date back to who knows how long still have an impact on uh, you know, things that are going on today. I mean, was that something that you were conscious of while you were writing it, or that, you know, that's just something that was there and it just worked out that way?
1: Well, it worked out that way because where it came from was the like finding the differences and the similarities between so Christmas is the same holiday in America and in Scotland. And with a lot of, you know, common areas, but with big, with big differences. I found them very remarkable when I came here that there were, there were big differences. And it makes you feel further away from home than on any other day. If you can't get the things that you, you know, you feel are, they're not, but you think this is essential to Christmas. I've got to have. This, you know, they can't do without this, and no one here even knows what it is. So, um, the Californians in hopscot I think, do pretty well in not having what they would have uh for Christmas. But they, you know, they they're on holiday and they're having an exotic time of it just for one year, so they're okay. Once the kids know that Santa's coming, you know, and they even think he might be early because we're so much nearer the North Pole, that would be cool. Um. So it didn't, no, it didn't come out, it didn't come out of the the longevity of some of the, the traditions, just the, I don't think they are because I think they came here to uh, the US and then they just kind of moved a bit and they moved a bit there as well, but they're, you know, they're old um, no matter where they're from, except maybe, no, I'm not going to say that. Well, no. except no, I will say it because it, you, people are going to think it's something worse than what I was going to say. Um, the the stuff that comes from modern culture, so the Grinch, Charlie Brown, and that A Christmas Story. You know that film, A Christmas Story. So, so things like tree Christmas tree ornaments. I saw the first Christmas tree ornament that was a lamp whose base was a fishnet stocking, and thought that's random. What's going on there? But it's from a film. And I know that people call my Christmas tree a Charlie Brown Christmas tree, and I didn't know what they meant. Thought there's no peanuts ornaments on my tree. What are you talking about? Because we go to a, a forest and cut it down and it's not neat uh, looking it. And it is a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. I love it. But so things like that, you know, modern stuff. Um is different, obviously. But most of it, most of it's pretty much the same. And it's
0: speaking of a more modern tradition that is definitely falls into the category of love it or hate it pumpkin spice um <laughs> let's oh, see yeah. us off on pumpkin spice and in particularly cinnamon do you actually hate cinnamon oh, or is that just for no
1: effect? no i don't i've got to put in the, the disclaimer these ramps are the fictional rants of a fictional Scot whose name is Lexi Campbell who lives in fictional California. They are nothing to do with me. These are not my rants. I don't, I mean, I I didn't think I even liked pumpkin pie until this year I've decided I do like my pumpkin pie. I made one. I like my pumpkin pie. I think the first pumpkin pie I tasted was just bought from a supermarket and I didn't think much of it. Um, but the, you know that, and the, which is so stupid because, of course, you don't get the nicest version of anything if you just buy it, you know, from a supermarket shelf. So uh, it, it's not the existence of, okay, it's pumpkin spice until today. Basically, <laughs> we're we are recording this the Saturday of Thanksgiving weekends, cozy corner podcast listeners. Um, And then you strip out the nutmeg and the allspice and the ginger. And what's left is the cinnamon revealed as the culprit in pumpkin spice. And it's not that I don't like cinnamon. It's just that you don't need cinnamon absolutely everywhere for a solid month in candles. Pine cones already smell nice. You don't need to pump them full of cinnamon fragrance, trademark. You know, you don't need... Laundry sheets, like dryer sheets and toilet paper, and oh, just absolutely everything uh, that cinnamon flavored or scented for an entire month, so that you walk into oh, I don't know, like World Market or you know Costco, World Costco or or somewhere, and go oh man, woof, I can't I can't bear it. But um no, I do I do like cinnamon. I just think it's maybe gone slightly overboard. Yeah, so e- maybe. everything in moderation is okay. Yeah, it's just it doesn't strike me as a Christmassy smell or flavor. It's like the peppermint of candy canes. I think peppermint doesn't seem Christmassy at all. You know, it's like saying, Oh, um, you know. What if I if I claimed that oh, name another holiday? I've run out of holidays now. If you know, if uh, Caesar Chavez Day um, tasted of turmeric, I decree. No, it does. <laughs> it doesn't. So it just seems it seems unwarranted to Lexi Campbell. Not me. I'm the perfect immigrant. <laughs> Everything's normal. Everything's fine. <laughs> what what, are, what are then? The- on the other hand. The, the side dishes for Christmas dinner are a massive disappointment to the Americans because our side dishes are boiled vegetables, boiled Brussels sprouts and boiled carrots with the most important feast of the year. So none of these amazing sides that you have for the big turkey dinner on Thanksgiving uh, here. Boiled sprouts, boiled carrots, two kinds of white potatoes. Ooh. And it's true.
0: What are some other Scottish Christmas
1: traditions that might surprise Americans? Um, the insane drinking. There's <laughs> there's always that. But it's kind of a practice for uh, Hogmanay for New Year the next week. Um, the mince pies, crackers. Crackers are one of the things I can't do without. So that's a, a cardboard tube with a bit of um, a strip of uh, cardboard running through it with a bit of gunpowder in it. So you take a hold of either end. I don't know how familiar you are with them. Take a hold of either end and pull it together, pull it apart, and it bangs. And inside is a paper hat, a bad joke, and a little gift prize. And so we pull them at Christmas dinner and then we all wear the paper hats. And you just, you don't get them here. They don't, you can get them in, you know, um, Costco, uh, no, what's it called? Cost plus world market in the ethnic section for British people. But it's the most seized item in December at Heathrow Airport, is people trying to bring crackers to the US, but the dogs go crazy because they've got gunpowder in them. Gun they've got a little bit of gunpowder. Uh, but you can't get them here. And it was also, it, it struck me that if people watch um, UK sitcoms and dramas on Britbox, they must think, why is everybody wearing those cheap flimsy paper hats all the time? What, <laughs> where did they come from? They came out of the crackers that that got pulled. Uh, but they're essential to me. Uh, it just wouldn't be Christmas dinner without without crackers. so we get them. um Christmas traditions that you don't have here. hmm Christmas Eve, well, because it's just Scotland and there's not the Eastern European uh, diaspora that's gone into the mix of what makes American Christmas. Christmas Eve isn't a big deal in Scotland, so Christmas Eve is just, you know, do whatever you want, who cares? Whereas here, a lot of people, the get-together is Christmas Eve um, from, I mean, I'm guessing it's from the sort of German and Eastern European uh, tradition. So that would be a bit of a disappointment. I mean, unless you're, like, my sister-in-law is Polish, so they do have a big thing on Christmas Eve, Um, with food that doesn't strike any of our Scottish relations as a tall Christmassy carp, you know, um, stewed carp. Um, But they're quite, I mean, they're quite similar. There's a stocking, you get up, there's presents in the morning, you go to church, you sing carols, you have a huge dinner and watch the, as we now call, monarch's speech. That's a bit of a difference. You don't all get together at three o'clock and watch the Monarchs, the King's Speech. It is now the King's Speech. Still sounds like a movie to me with Colin Firth in it. Yeah, I'll get okay, used. Really. To, get used to it. Yeah, but yeah, the Queen's Speech was always a a big moment um, at three o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Day, and I watch it here because it's it's on Brickbox and it's it's put out here. But I watch it at three o'clock California time, um, things like that. So what are what have I missed then? What American traditions have I have I missed out then? Um, I think it's. Can you think of any? It's pretty similar, really, apart from the menu.
0: Yeah, perhaps the the menu and the um the Christmas Eve is. Yeah. Kind of, some some folks here do a big thing on Christmas Eve, but there are still some of us who Christmas Day is the actual is there. the thing. That's yeah. Kind of, but yeah, I think the, the, the menus and actually crackers are becoming more popular thanks to Brit Box and Acorn TV. I yeah. can now order them in some mail order catalogs because those now that we Americans are watching more British shows, uh we
1: decided that we wanted to looks too. like fun.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's you the only the only training that you would need is to know that the crack the cracker jokes are deliberately dreadful. They're not supposed to be funny. They're they're quite deliberately awful because if you try to make a joke funny, some people get it and some people don't and it's quite divisive whereas if you make a joke dreadful, just awful, cheesy, terrible joke then everyone bonds over that so I think that's quite a good idea Um, the only other thing, I'm really happy to hear that that you're getting into Christmas, (laughs) Christmas crackers, the only other thing is the cake Christmas cake now, Christmas cake which you would call fruit cake is not funny in Scotland. It's not, you know, it's no more funny than turkey or mashed potato. And so that it took me a while to get used to the idea. I, it was puzzling at first, you know, I'd mention Christmas cake or invite people round and so generously, in my opinion, put out some slices of my beautiful, well, my husband makes it, delicious, rich, fragrant Christmas cake. And people would laugh. And go, well, What are you laughing about? And they'd start telling jokes. It's just not a, there's just a big cultural difference in that fruitcake is not funny in, um, in Scotland. It's just right. It's Christmas cake. It's wedding cake is rich, dark, boozy fruitcake. Christening cake is the same cake. Sometimes it's the top, well, traditionally, it used to be the top tier of the wedding cake was saved for the christening, which we all hoped would soon follow. And it's not, it's got no comic value whatsoever. So, um, Brussels sprouts are the comedy food. (laughs) Um, But I still, I love my Christmas cake. I just don't give it to anybody else anymore. I don't go to visit people with a generous, you know, slice, gracious, generous slice of the delicious Christmas cake because they're not getting it. You don't deserve it. You lot, <laughs> I'm keeping it. Hate <laughs> it myself. <laughs> that was, you know, when um, when Prince Harry and Meghan Markle got married. That to me, I said, that's the thing. Like, yeah, okay, she's American, she's an actress, she's uh, she's divorced. You know, she's a little bit older than him. I think. Cause, uh, there's all these problems. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But oh my god, that wedding cake was not fruit cake. That wedding cake was pale. Sponge. Oh, <gasps> that's when it—that's when it all went wrong, Alexia. That's when it all started to go wrong.
0: <laughs> Fruitcake is definitely not an American wedding tradition. It's—it's it's, you know the the light fluffy Fruitcake. white cake with the
1: buttercream icing. Wait, nice not, cake. Not, not a yeah. dried cranberry or. No. It's <laughs> not it's, that. I- no. But it's from the I mean that's from the longevity. That's from before there was chocolate when when what you had were your poshest food and the sweetest food you had were these dried fruits that you had dried and then you re soaked them with booze. Um because nobody had maybe you know, people didn't have sugar and they hadn't got chocolate. Nobody had been to Mexico and to get chocolate. So this was the most sumptuous. Uh, food that there was, and that's carried on in a lot of the um, traditional foods of Christmas, like the mince pies, which have not got ground beef in them. They're mince meat. They're they're dried, dried, but they're not dry because reconstituted with alcohol, um, fruit and nuts, and a little bit of candied uh, citrus peel inside pastry. Oh, I make making myself. Hungry, <laughs> lovely. They're
0: delicious.
1: That's probably the difference. I, th-
0: I think um, Americans don't rehydrate them with alcohol it's more highly processed sugar chemical stuff and it
1: doesn't so
0: so it's it's probably what maybe if we uh actually had real fruit preserved properly with alcohol instead of whatever the
1: factory machines put out we might appreciate it more It's you know, like me and the pumpkin pie. I had one like pumpkin pie off a, a store shelf and thought, I don't like pumpkin pie. What an idiot! Yeah, I've never tasted funny. You know, like you could take out a relative with it if you've got a good arm. Fruitcake. So maybe if I I, I should taste that just once uh, and see. Oh yeah, I get I get the joke now. Yeah. This is okay. awful. <laughs> hey,
0: maybe I'll send you an American fruitcake for
1: Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure those people. I think there's um there's a a couple of they're not writers. They are great uh, benefactors to the mystery community called uh, John and Ruth Jordan. And they, I think, have a, a family Christmas cake that just goes round and round and round. Uh, every, someone gives it to someone, and then they give it to someone else year by year. I'm sure it's. The, I think it's the Jordans uh, that have got a cake, a fruit cake that does that. <laughs> It's lovely.
0: <laughs> well, I'm. I'm. I think. <laughs> I think, well, cake is perhaps a divisive holiday tradition. But what are what are some of your favorite holiday traditions um, besides the Christmas crackers?
1: Is the food? It is just the food. Well, uh, we. So we're on film. here. Yeah, no, we're not going to be on film, but do you see there? A Little pile of oh, I can't. Oh yeah, I can't because it's not going to show. Oh no, it's no, I've moved it. Sorry. I've moved it. I've got my Christmas reading pile. Yeah. I'm starting to curate it for when i am finished work for the year. Um, it is mostly the food. I love Christmas cards. Um, I don't approve of the new habit for not sending Christmas cards. I love to I like writing them. I like sending them. I like receiving them. Um, I don't believe the people that say I'm, I'm saving the planet. By not sending Christmas cards because these same people sometimes go to Vail skiing on a plane. I think it's an easy thing to say, like, oh, I'm saving the planet. No, you're not. You're saving that Sunday afternoon where you sit and get writer's crap writing your Christmas cards. So I love them. I do love them. Um, All of it, really. I don't think there's any bit of it that I don't love. I love the music, Uh, I love the story. Uh, I'm not a very devout person but you've got to love that tale you know you've got to love the Christmas story what's not to um presents never hurt yeah it's a bit of I don't I don't like trying to choose uh presents for other people in case you you know I don't love being so far away from my family all the time but But, you know, we make a real meal of it. I'm knocking off, I think, on the 20th, and I'll go back to work on the 6th of January. So it's a long stretch of um, maybe bonfires in the garden to get rid of garden rubbish and cooking and eating and reading, sitting by the fire, and watching um, the Christmas movies, (laughs) obviously. I don't start on the 1st of December and watch everything that Hallmark has to offer, got to admit. But there are some things that I watch every year.
0: And uh, and as you said, uh, January 6th, for for folks listening, it's because January 6th is the official end of Christmas because Christmas lasts a whole 12 days, not just one. So
1: it's uh, an epiphany, 12th night. January, yeah, that's right. The night of January the 5th is 12th night and January the 6th, back to work. Everything, shortbread tin goes away. All the special stuff goes away. Um, We'll take our Christmas decorations down and back to work. Uh, a week after everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. But <laughs> my, hus- my husband's a professor at UC. Uh, and the first year, there were a few raised eyebrows that he said, yeah, I'm, I'm going away for, I'm going for two weeks. Oh, where are you going? Home. I'm going home for Christmas. I'll see you on the 6th of January. Uh, okay. <laughs> they're used to it now.
0: <laughs> and and you, you mentioned, uh, you know, choosing presents for people books of course make great presents and hopscot of course would is a great book so it would be a great book that would make a great present for christmas um or any other holiday of, of folks uh, choosing so where can we're well head done
1: hop. yes it's very timely i was worried when i decided to write a christmas book that it would come out in march and it would be a disaster but this is perfect uh, it's out on the 5th of december which is oh, oh. slightly tight i think the last guaranteed shipping date you know, without selling a kidney to get to the UK is uh, the 6th of December. But it's doable and not everybody's sending it to the UK. So that's okay. I forgot. I forgot there for a minute. I'm the one who needs to make sure everything's packaged up (laughs) and taken to the post office before the 6th of December. Seems quite early. but, But yes, it would make a perfect. It's um. Well, it's got no splatter. It's got some fruity language because it's Scotland and everybody swears like dockers. Although I've been very good in this podcast, haven't I? Um, Has it got any on the page sex? No, I don't think it has. No, it's got happily married couples going off into their bedrooms. That's all right. Wait, one's only engaged. But, you know, there's not, there's no, there's a little bit of fruity language. Anna corpse. That's it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much. Apart from that,
1: it's just world to world Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it's
0: right up there with the the best traditional Christmas mysteries.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're great. I'm going. I'm looking forward to Janice Hallett's uh, the Christmas appeal uh, this year. And I've also got a YA by a writer called Juno Dawson. That's not a mystery. It's called Stay Another Day. It's just a fa- it's a family that all get together with lots of tension uh, for Christmas. But I don't think there's a murder. Although I think it's maybe touch and go now and then. So I've got some Christmas reading in there.
0: And so, what's next
1: for you after you finish your Christmas reading? Uh, well, right now I am galloping through the first draft of the next uh, Lexi Campbell story, the next Last Ditch, which starts on Midsummer Day on the solstice, which is much more of a a holiday in uh, Scotland than it is um, here, but it still counts. Um, So I'm going to finish the first draft of that, and that will be the third first draft sitting on my desk here. I've also got the first draft of the second Uh, 1948 historical novel about the um, what's her name? Uh, Helen Crowther in Edinburgh. Wow! That's how immersed I am in this book, I couldn't remember. And I've also got the first draft of a standalone sitting there. Uh, So I've I've kind of front-loaded myself with splurged out first drafts. So the first six months of next year are going to be editing knocking these rough first drafts into shape and then handing them over so I won't be writing anything new uh until maybe the until the midsummer the turn of the year but that's what's that's what's next uh, as to what's coming out it will be dandy gilver number 16 mm-hmm. is coming sometime in the summer late spring early summer um, it's called the Witching Hour, which is a great title. I didn't think oh. that title up. I love it though, and it's 1939, <laughs> so it's a kind of tense moment.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: in uh, Europe and in yeah in Scotland. Um, but that was fun to write, and there's another standalone in the pipeline, but I haven't edited it yet. I've finished my edits, but I haven't got any edits back from the uh, from the publisher.
0: And where can readers connect with you to to sort of you know keep track of of uh, you know which books coming out next and and find out what's what's going on? Um,
1: yeah, well, my website I do keep my website up to date. It's it's dot um, so that's quite straightforward. And I'm on Facebook. I've got a Facebook author page, um, where I put lots of news, but those bots. You know, those fake people, they are just impossible to deal with. So I don't use the message function. I would say to people, if you want an answer uh, from me about something, like, what? Scott's Law? What are you on about? Go to my website and get in touch with me that way because they haven't found me there yet, but not my Facebook author page. And I'm still on uh, the place formerly known as Twitter, just hanging on by one fingernail. Um, at Katrina McP. but you know if you go there and you can't find me that's because that last fingernail let go so I would say my website and uh, Facebook are probably the best bet
0: <laughs> well thank you very much Katrina for stopping by to chat about your latest last stitch mystery Hop Scott it's always a pleasure to have you on the show thank,
1: thank you very much you made me really look forward to Christmas now I'm <laughs> so looking forward to it after that chat thanks Alexia
0: and actually you, you made me decide to go like I'm about to go look at a, a brick box to see if I can find some nice Christmas mysteries on there to, to watch to get in the mood.
1: Yeah. Christmas yeah. specials will be coming. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Katrina McPherson here to talk about her latest last dis- last ditch mystery, Hopscot. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Please support the podcast by leaving a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you listen on. Follow the podcast on Instagram at podcast underscore cozy on Facebook at the cozy corner podcast and the web at the cozy corner with Alexia Gordon.com. Follow me at alexiaGordon author on Instagram, alexiagordon.writer writer on Facebook and alexiagordon.net net on the web. Support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash author Alexia Gordon. And until next time.